Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4111 of the Bugle, coming to you as is so often the case in the form of sound waves, powered by Sonorax, ancient god of sound. Do you like sound? Well, so does the Bugle. So why not sacrifice a hundred head of oxen to Sonorax to make the Bugle sound even better? And what better place to commit the holy slaughter than on a Bugle-endorsed Ablatotech 3D Insta-Altar, your own collapsible altar that packs down to the size of a large sports hold-all, now with added soundproofing and faster drainage. <laughs> to get your Insta-Altar with a 5% discount and your first three oxen absolutely free, plus a complimentary e-sword to slay your offering whilst live-streaming imprecations to the deity of your choice, go to the the Oblato Tech <laughs> website and use the code SLAF your head off. Uh, sorry, I know we're not really supposed to be running ads anymore, but sometimes an offer is simply too good. Uh, welcome to the Bugle. I'm Andy Zaltzman, and we're here in London to chronicle every single relevant moment in the universe over the last week or so. And I'm joined, firstly, by the woman who only has to look at an exotic bird to turn it into a mortal enemy for all humankind. It's the Hemisphere Hopper herself, the one-woman comedic tribute to the American penal system in that she's not afraid of unnecessarily long sentences. It's Alice Fraser. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Hello, other mystery guest. Uh, how are you? <laughs> Very well, thank Welcome back to the uh, correct side of the equator. I am very happy to be back, and I've come back in time for some real good sunshine and sudden rain. Yeah, well, you're in the right place for that. Yep, it's made me very happy. Also, uh, my twin brother's wife's maternity leave is finishing, so they're following me back with the baby. Right. So there's nothing wrong in my life. Right now. <laughs> Sounds like they are pursuing you with a baby of which they want to dispose. That's all I've ever wanted. <laughs> uh, also uh, joining us uh, today um, in London, it's the yeast from the east. In, in that he always rises to the occasion and comes from east of here. It's Anuvab Pal. Hello, Andy. Hello. Also, if you Thank put him you. in a cool, dark space, he lasts a thousand years. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get a yeast from his Pal T-shirt. <laughs> Should give it to every family member. Uh, good. Uh, welcome, uh, welcome to London. Thank you, Andy. I thought uh, it would be a unique visit in the summer. I'd be the only person visiting. But I just recently heard from the British consulate in Mumbai that there is a... 2,000% increase in a demand for visas. Right. Because apparently we, as a nation, are filling up your cricket stadiums. Yes. Uh, well, and we'll, we'll might touch on this later on. F filling up in the sense that the stadiums are sold out and about three quarters full. So it's... I was in I was in Southampton yesterday for India's first game of the Cricket World Cup for any uh, uh, non cricketers listeners. Um, yes. We will be covering the, the World Cup through the Bugles on the summer as well as on the uh, um, the unbelievable podcast that I'm also doing. Uh, and total sellout this game, weeks and weeks in advance, and about three quarters full. So I don't know if people are just too excited by the prospect of cricket now to just lie down in a darkened aircraft hangar. I think cricket watching is a very prestigious activity, so they might be doing it for the Instagram uh, likes. Just just taking a picture of their ticket and then not bothering going because right. they don't actually like cricket. Yeah, I mean, people have always been doing that to my stand-up shows, certainly. <laughs> um, also joining us, stepping in for Chris, uh, who is currently a little indisposed due to uh, his uh, wife having had another baby. Not for the first time. Well, for the first time she had another one. Not the first time she's had a baby. Uh, so for any maths fans out there, you can probably work out how many children they now have. It's Rich. Hello, Rich. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Hello, mystery guests who are now being disclosed. <laughs> yeah, no longer mystery guests. Yeah, Anna yes. Pal, I didn't want to reveal you because yeah. I wanted you to have the full spectacle of walking down the red carpet. We have a red carpet in here. That's correct. And also being known as the yeast from the yeast. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, it's Bugle issue 4111. Also, incidentally, the exact words in a slightly awkward conversation just a couple of days ago between Donald Trump and the Queen. Four, one, uh, one, one. Uh, we are recording on the 6th of June um, 2019, 75 years since uh, D-Day, a day which proved pivotal in paving the way for a world that could move beyond nationalism, isolationism and unnecessary conflict towards international collaboration and cooperation and a European continent that would always work together towards a better future. So thanks to all involved. As always, some sections of the Bugle are going straight in the bin. This week, in the bin, a section advising you how to cut down on your unnecessary plastics use. Tip one, try to avoid buying plastic-wrapped food in supermarkets by tearing the plastic off before you get to the checkout. The supermarkets will then be able to reuse the plastic on tomorrow's food. When recreating great battles of the medieval era, do not use little plastic bottles of shampoo or shower gel stolen from hotels to represent the divisions of the competing armies. Use biodegradable exotic fruits instead, flown in from around the world, to give you a visually arresting and aromatic battlefield. When getting married... <laughs> When getting married, do not make a false enviro-economy by not having a wedding cake, which would require eggs from carbon dioxide-emitting chickens, and instead building a 20-foot-high statue of your spouse out of plastic beads and ceremonially catapulting it into your local harbour in a traditional gesture of good luck and long-lasting love. Do not do that. Uh, also in the cake, instead of eggs, use coal. For every lump of coal you eat is a lump of coal someone else is not burning. And uh, further plastic reduction advice, don't wrap all your coins and banknotes individually in cellophane to avoid leaving fingerprints on them in case the government want to track your spending. Just use gloves. And final piece of plastic reduction advice, don't bother buying imitation plastic cockroaches to leave lying around your kitchen when unwanted friends and unloved relatives pop round for tea. Uh, instead, carve them out of bits of driftwood humanely collected from a consenting beach. So that's five ways to reduce your plastic use. That's going in the bin. Top story this week, the world. Well, uh, my world for the last week and indeed the next five weeks is largely consumed with uh, covering the Cricket World Cup. Uh, so frankly, I'm a little bit behind on what's been happening in the real world, or as I also like to know it, the less good world. Uh, luckily, I have two people with me who are correspondents for the rest of the world on behalf of the Bugle. Uh, Alice, firstly, what's uh, what's caught your eye in, in, the, in the world this week? Uh, in Australia, the federal police have raided uh, the ABC News building and are accessing, scanning and reviewing thousands of documents in a hunt for sources and data linked to state secrets about sweeping new surveillance measures. It's the biggest attack on press freedom in Australian history. Director of News Goan Maris said journalism is not a crime, to which the Australian Federal Police probably said not yet before twirling their moustaches and setting some books on fire. <laughs> Uh, it's quite an interesting story, this. It's, uh, I mean, it is possibly linked to the return of the ABC Unbelievable Cricket podcast featuring uh, me and Felicity Ward. <laughs> I'm over here, suckers, you'll never take me alive! Um... And I guess, you know, there's a lot of uh, you know, questions of whether you know, there needs to be greater protection for whistleblowers in Australia. I mean, I, mean, I guess the, the, the thing is, you know, when, when everyone who has evidence of high-level wrongdoing is going to simply put it in the public domain, then it's going to be so hard for governments to uh, suppress public knowledge of, of all the corruption. I mean, where will that leave us? I mean, it'll leave us in a bad way, Andy. They also raided the home of News Corp journalist uh, Annika, Annika Smethist, who reported on government plans to spy on its own citizens in a story that included images from a top-secret document. And the headline tomorrow will read, Massive Explosion of Painful Irony Kills Hundreds <laughs> hundreds of Years of Developing a Fourth Estate. <laughs> Andy, Alice, I have a question. As you know, it is my job on this podcast to bring the 
perspective of deceit and treachery into <laughs> into any existing institution. So journalism, I think you guys had done a good job with it for a couple of hundred years. Now, what they've done in India is that billionaires have bought up most of the news channels. So what this would be, and, and the billionaires that have bought up the news channels basically also spend a lot of money owning the government. So when a government raids a, a news organization, they're basically going into their office in the evening. <laughs> so is that something that can be done with straight broadcasters like the BBC and ABC? Um, I mean, we're open to corruption <laughs> okay. here at the Bugle at the very least. <laughs> yeah. Come on, bribe me. I dare yeah. you to. Yeah. <laughs> And we are literally taking bribes in the form of our voluntary subscription scheme. <laughs> that you know, if you just leave us some money, no questions asked, I will tell a lie about you on the show. Um, so uh, fundamentally undermining the whole point of journalism. I enjoy that satirical element that I hadn't yet noticed, Andy. <laughs> well done, <laughs> um, Scott Morrison, your uh, God-given prime minister. Uh, very much a politician whose uh, face and indeed politics exude the joie de vivre and humanity of a moulding potato, was asked if he was concerned that a journalist's home was raided. And he said, it never troubles me that our laws are being upheld. So exactly how sinister did, did you find that, that your prime minister... Said said those were. I guess it depends on. I mean, he didn't say it in a German accent. So I mean, it could have been worse, couldn't it? He didn't demand papers first, yeah. which is my bar for entry. But uh, I just constantly maintain in my mind the mantra that he shot himself in a McDonald's <laughs> in Engadine in nineteen ninety seven. Whether it's true or not, it makes everything seem safer. Uh, another bit of uh, Australian news that I mean, this uh, builds up a picture of a nation that's. Um, I guess got you know a few things it could work on from an objective point of view. Uh, Australia was criticised in a UN report this week for detaining a blind, mentally ill Tamil man who had fled persecution and torture in Sri Lanka for nine years. They detained him for nine years. And I guess, you know, I mean, Australia clearly is, likes to get tough on immigration because the thing is if you let in one blind, mentally ill Tamil man who's fleeing persecution and torture, you're going to be inundated with millions and millions of blind, mentally ill Tamil men fleeing persecution and tor torture, taking all your jobs, stealing all your women and selling all your natural resources to unaccountable overseas billionaires. And then where would you be as a nation? Well, Andy, I will answer that uh, accusation by saying, look, a koala! <laughs> <laughs> This is the first time whataboutery has led to a marsupial. <laughs> <laughs> Anivab, what's um, top story in, in your world? Well, Andy, I was reading in the New York Times. I don't own a pet, um, but I know a lot of people in the Western world do. Yeah. And New York Times had a headline that there's a new law that's been passed that says cat declawing is now illegal in the state of New York. Right. Uh, you cannot declaw a cat. Okay. Um, and my understanding of this seemed to be that this is a question of consent. Right. Right. Like if someone cut my fingernails without my knowledge, yep. I don't see myself being friends with that person yes. in the long run. Um, and I don't know if any of you are cat owners. Is declawing a thing? Is it a... First of all, cats are not friends with anyone. <laughs> Testify. So yeah, it was a bipartisan bill. They put it through. It needs to be reviewed and signed by the, the governor and uh, Andrew Cuomo before it becomes law. And unless he's recently been the subject of a cat attack, it is likely to go through. I'm torn about it, Andy, because on one hand, I wouldn't let a person sit that close to my groin with a handful of knives. <laughs> and if cats, want, yeah. and if cats oh. want to live among humans, maybe they should do some cultural integration and learn the f***ing language. <laughs> 
On the other hand, I do think cat owners probably deserve a ball sack full of poor daggers for the impact <laughs> their little murder pets have on native wildlife. <laughs> And then also from a Jewish perspective, when we're given a small helpless being in trust, I feel we are probably entitled to take the tip off anything we can reach. <laughs> but also I empathise with the suffering of a cat being declawed. What if they get itchy or suddenly need to claw someone's eyes out? It happens to me on the way home from comedy gigs all the time. It's so itchy. I think this should be in the law. This is exactly what Alice said. should be in the actual statute. I mean, I, I, I just see it's bloody animal rights lobby interfering. I mean, wherever next, you know. They're going to stop stop me ripping the claws off my cat. They're going to make me take the alloy wheels off my rhino and the big bass subwoofer out of my elephant. So what? Pimp My Pachyderm was probably the TV show that has changed my life the most. Now... Look, I, I do, I do get it. <laughs> Nelly the elephant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I do get it that you know, if you have a cat, I mean, because it's, it's hard. We don't really do. I don't think we do cat declawing in this country. I don't. You know, I've not had my parents had cats when I was a kid, but I didn't much like them. Uh, <laughs> the parents or the cat? The, the, exactly. <laughs> uh, potato, potato. Um, <laughs> uh, but it, it's not something we do over here. And um, well, I guess, you know, as you say, if you do have a cat, then it is likely that your cat is a bit of a dick and you might want to take some measures to stop it clawing your eyes out when it starts to tire of your infantile dog impressions. But there are alternatives, aren't there, to declawing? For example, don't get a cat. Or leave the cat with its claws on and learn to live with it. Or if you're worried about your furniture and clothes getting snagged, which appears to be a, a, one of the main reasons people get their cats declawed, if you're worried about your furniture but you really like cats, get a robot cat with sensors in its legs that instantaneously retracts its claws whenever a snaggable fabric is detected. Or just get a watermelon instead, which doesn't have claws but is in its own way quite comforting to hold in your lap, I'm told. Um, and I guess one of the benefits of declawing a cat is it does make it much harder for your cats to pick locks. So <laughs> your your possessions are safer. Never, ever trust a cat. Have you ever looked? Have you ever looked deep into a cat's eyes? Never, <laughs> never trust a cat. Onwards in World News, three men in Boston are taking it on themselves to act as representatives of all embarrassing people everywhere by applying for a license for a straight pride parade. <laughs> Uh, the organiser, Mark Zahadi, wrote in a Facebook comment that the event will celebrate heterosexuality and is meant to poke fun at the identity politics of the political left. There is a particular kind of person in the world, Andy, who thinks the best way to poke fun at something is to apply for a licence to do it. <laughs> uh, they've, all, they've designed a flag, they've designated actor Brad Pitt as their mascot, though I don't know what Brad Pitt thinks about this honour, but apparently the parade will include floats and vehicles, which I take leave to seriously doubt. The we are going to have a straight pride parade promise is about as likely to come true as the hey let's catch up for a coffee promise which is to say about as likely as the promise of mind-blowing head <laughs> you've got big dreams mate but i doubt your skill at mustering sufficient enthusiasm for this will be fulfilling for anyone involved i mean i have limited understanding of gay and straight history but it is safe to say that there was never large periods in history where straight people were imprisoned and electrocuted and shot for being straight. Well, we don't know that. Uh, I mean, because when you look at the history of evolution, it, I mean, it did take humans a long, long time, a suspiciously long time to evolve, which suggests to me that all the heterosexuals were, were being covertly imprisoned and prevented from breeding for arguably millions and millions of years. 
Yeah, we don't know what happened to the dinosaurs, really, do we? Yeah, maybe that's why the dinosaurs died out. All those rampantly heterosexual dinosaurs like the T-Rex and the Stegosaurus. You don't get much more heterosexual than that. <laughs> and yet, where are they now? One great big gay asteroid wiped the lot out. <laughs> So if anything, this is this is comeuppance. This is deserved. This is <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I just think this is going to be a bit of a, a dud of a, you know how there's quite often these neo-Nazi marches and there's like eight people in very frumpy clothes walking down the street while people walk alongside them blowing sad trombones. Yeah, I think it's going to be like that. Right. I put my money on it being something like that. Well, that is what heterosexual pride is all about. Sad, <laughs> sad trombones. <laughs> Um, in um, other um, exciting news, um, there's been a huge breakthrough in uh, in in well gender relations, Alice, uh, and medical equipment. Um, can you just talk us through this uh, this huge moment in uh, the advance of gender equality? Yes, the first female CPR dummy is now available. Although, weirdly, female sex dolls have been around since the use by Dutch sailors in the 17th century, <laughs> CPR dummies have been traditionally male or at least, while thankfully peenless, masculinely shaped with boobless Ken doll chests. <laughs> Uh, following a recent study by Dr Audrey Bluer, which found that women suffering from cardiac arrest in public are 27% less likely than men to receive CPR, a New York-based creative agency has created the first ever attachment designed to convert a standard CPR dummy into a female version. I think it's very exciting. The research determined that the traditional Ken doll chest training protocol led to an uncertainty about how to perform CPR on well, anyone other than Zac Efron, but more more particularly uh, about how to perform CPR around the heart attacky chest of an imboobled ribcage. Uh, how do I perform heart palpitations without mashing her boobs? Can you even electrocute a heart through all that tit with the zappy thing? Do women have hearts or is it just three boobs with one on the inside? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Four. It does. I mean, it, this is obviously, you know, it, it's uh, arguably overdue. Um, but, uh, um, I mean, it is rather stepping in after God has clearly decided to punish women for Eve, Eve uh, stealing the apple from Pandora's lunchbox or whatever it was. But it does raise the question, you know, if we're going to have female CPR dummies, when are we going to get the first male practice womb? Because it's always women who get the advantages in obstetrics, and I'm f***ing sick of it. <laughs> Economics news now, and bad news for India, Anuvab. Uh, no longer the world's fastest-growing economy. Um, devastating news. Yeah, a couple of economic stories, Andy. Apparently, in India, we've just realised that after a while, you just can't make up your GDP. Right. <laughs> Apparently, it's an actual calculated number <laughs> whose accuracy is checked by some people called economists. Right. No one told us this. Okay. <laughs> Didn't know it was a thing. So yeah. apparently we've been saying we're growing at 9%. But apparently facts and independent verification says we're growing only at 5.8%. So right. who do you believe? Well, us saying this is what's happening or numbers? Well, from, in fact, it's got a very bad rep over, the, over recent years. So, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't see any problem with that. I mean, that's essentially what the entire Brexit debate was based on, was <laughs> pretend numbers real numbers, and that is a, a, f a fight that no one can win. Correct. Other than the pretend numbers who, <laughs> who won. <laughs> the winner is lies. And Dr. Dr. Das, Saktikanta Das, who is the head of our RBI, came out and said, it's a question of perspective. <laughs> <laughs> 
we're looking at the JTP a certain way and foreign economists are looking at it in a different way. And maybe we can meet, but who knows? <laughs> and I think, I think that's what I like about mathematics. It's right. never specific. You know, it's vague. Two plus two is whose perspective is it? Also, I mean, in terms of growth, this, yes. this whole stat of fastest growing economy, which was trumpeted a lot in Britain as well, that we were the fastest growing economy in Europe. But that was, we only managed to achieve that because we tanked our economy like a Titanic into an iceberg. <laughs> so therefore, we had the opportunity for it to grow fast. So in many ways, actually, this I mean, is a great achievement for India to have been one of the fastest growing economies in the world. But you've actually got us, us Brits to think about for uh, essentially stealing all your resources and... Uh, and uh, impoverishing you in the first place that gave you the opportunity then to grow to grow more. there was some extraordinary statistic that came up in our when we were doing that radio series yes last year about some um, indian gdp before and after the brits had uh, helped yeah so apparently india was a wealthy economy but you're absolutely right i think the early viceroys felt zero was a good starting number right because how would you know if you're growing if you're already growing at 11% so I think all the extraction of wealth during the colonial era was just to level the playing field. Right. So now that we're growing at 6%, it's from zero. So that's good, right? You're if welcome. You're already at, well, thank you. If you're already at 14% under the Mughal Empire before the British came, where do you go from there? You know, like you're already way ahead of zero. <laughs> so I thank you. Thank you, Andy. And I'd like Truly, to... Truly, the colonial project was a long exercise in tough love. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, and staying with economics, New Zealand decided to come up with an entirely independent metric to measure their economic growth. So, Andy, they're going to use GDP, but New Zealand has just introduced the world's first well-being budget. So the government will give you some money for what you regard as important to your well-being, apart from food and shelter. So, for example, I imagine if I lived in New Zealand, I love espresso. I like roast beef because it's banned in my country. <laughs> and I like going to the theatre. So this would be considered, I could make an appeal. I'd also have to be from New Zealand, which I'm not. But you'd have to appeal for these things and they'd give you these things. Uh, so food and shelter are given because, you know, I'm sure they have some sort of a Scandinavia type system to take care of that. In addition, they give you these things for well-being. So maybe, you know, it's, it's just another way of looking at it. You're just like we're making up our GDP numbers. New Zealand is helping us by saying GDP is not the only measure. Right. Right. Uh, so we'll have a well-being budget. So whatever is important for web, your well-being, Andy, for example, a lot of cricket. Yes. I mean, this provided. is exhausting. I am sick of New Zealand showing off on the world stage about how <laughs> nice they are. <laughs> Making the rest of us look bad is what it is. Yeah. Where's your blind, disabled <laughs> Tamil... Refugee in a box. Well, he's in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> in uh, other uh, world news, um, this is a very distressing story. Apparently, um, rich nations such as uh, such as Britain um, are having we're having our waste sent back to us and Australia as well from the countries that we are outsourcing it to. So, uh, essentially, what recycling involves is chucking a lot of shit on a ship and sending it somewhere else and forgetting about it. And and then it just gradually seeps back into the natural ecosystem and turns into uh, Christmas trees. Um, but uh, some countries have started sending stuff back because they're being sent stuff that they can't 
they can't recycle things being and put in the room. I mean, it's a very great concern, to be honest, speaking from a, from a British point of view. If, if suddenly these precious relics of our society are being given back to us, then the pressure is going to grow for us to return all the rubbish we collected from overseas in the past too. You know? if, if countries like Malaysia and Indonesia start sending back Darren's mostly eaten kebab box and empty cigarette packet mm-hmm. or little Timmy's swiftly broken Christmas remote control toy ferret, then the Greeks <laughs> then the Greeks are going to want those broken old bits of nudie people and horses back for their broken old temples as well, aren't they? I do not like where this is going. I mean, on one hand, it sort of feels like justice for our over-consumerism, wastefulness, but also uh, Malaysia sending up to 100 tonnes of plastic waste back to Australia. They don't know that my secret dream is to live on top of a palace of old car parts. (laughs) (laughs) Just want to sit on a big pile of car parts and dispense wisdom from a throne made out of defunct hypercolour T-shirts, slap bands (laughs) and other essential office supplies from the 1980s. Like the giant rat philosopher come martial arts sensei Splinter in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's all I've ever wanted. Alice, you've just described the new high-rise in Mumbai. (laughs) (laughs) But I have a question, Alice, Andy, Rich. Um, Would it be okay not just to send back fecal matter, but also fecal things? Right. Uh, By which I mean, the show Big Brother is extremely popular in India. Can we send that back? Well, I mean, I don't know what George Orwell would say about that. (laughs) His, fa- his family are absolutely raking it in off all the royalties, I think. Uh, Indian elections news, Anuvab. Uh, now, when you were last on, the elections were uh, in progress, I think. That is correct, Andy. Um, it ended up with a convincing win for uh, Narendra Modi, who retained his title as Prime Minister. Uh, how's, uh, I mean, how, how's that going to affect India? Well, Andy... They've done all the analysis now post-elections, and it was a tight election. Narendra Modi only won 86% of the votes. So it was a close battle. But uh, recently, Bloomberg did a survey, and they found that in India, two-thirds of the voters received cash directly. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that that sometimes the moral values of the Western world or the developed world can have issues with that. But... um, You know, I've been following elections in the West and in the developed world. And I've seen people give speeches where they talk about when they're elected, they'll improve livelihoods of people and incomes in the future through policies. Now, in India, it's much better to do it before (laughs) by just giving people money and then blackmail them into voting. Like, if you think about it, apparently there is a word for it, bribe, but it's a new concept for me. I've never heard of it. But... But it is a novel way to think about governance, right? Right. It's like, uh, you know, I've, I've heard all these speeches about people trying to be the new British prime minister saying, I'll take the collective along and then the economy will improve. Then you'll get jobs. Then you'll make money. What Prime Minister Modi did was, here's some money. <laughs> <laughs> will you vote for me? I'm not telling you what I'm going to do, but here's 50 bucks and a bottle of gin. <laughs> the future is another country, one I will own. For now, take these $5 and go buy yourself a packet of chips. Exactly, exactly. And there's no problem with the media because he owns that as well. <laughs> so we won't have any Australian-type raids. So, you know, things are good, actually. And what about, I mean, the the, the various non-Modi fans? Because most of, I mean, the the, the Indians I, I've met are not huge fans of... Correct. I, I mean, my, my, my one of my closest Indian friends calls him uh, a genocidal bastard. Yes, but, yes. You know, <laughs> there's there's a... two sides to every coin, I guess. But, I mean, what's how, how's the reaction on, on that side of the political spectrum? 
Well, you may want to check with your friend what country he's moved to. <laughs> um, but artists, you know, uh, commentators tend to be left of center. And that's fine. Uh, they just have fewer avenues now to express their left of center views. Twitter's probably the only one. They'll probably get fired from all the newspapers because they're owned by the government. And I think Prime Minister Modi is a fair democratic prime minister. I mean, apart from controlling the government, the courts of law, the banks, the Reserve Bank, and free speech. Everything else is free in India. Oh, okay, that's good. So I, I don't see how he's a fascist. You know, people are saying Hitler and all that. I don't see it. You know, because he's only controlling all the major institutions and public opinion. Other than that, <laughs> with a slight religious fascist undertone. <laughs> helped by the religious infrastructure of temples. And slightly anti-Muslim. But other than that, <laughs> as manifested by one tiny riot. But <laughs> other than that, other than that, people are allowed to be free and fair. So I don't know what uh, your uh, fans and friends in India are complaining about, Andy. Okay, I'll pass that on. Yeah. <laughs> in extremely local news now, I'm a big believer in locally sourced things and locally sourced news is the newest thing I'm sourcing from extremely locally. The buzzer on my flat hasn't worked since I moved in, despite re repeated calls for investment in infrastructure from the governing body. So people have to stand outside the wall of my house and shout until I come and get them. Last night, I was so tired, I accidentally kicked a cup and broke the cup. And then when I was getting into bed, I clipped my ankle bone so hard, I was pretty sure I'd done severe damage to myself, but I was too sleepy to get up and check. So I just dreamed that I went to the hospital and I felt much better this morning. Uh, there's a local lady who says I seem like quite a nice person, which is good, although she then said I have the eyes of a husky dog. <laughs> In weather news, a high-pressure period is sweeping down from the north with Edinburgh fringe previews and not a lot of paid gigs. I'm hoping for a break in the industry so I don't have to worry about my, where my rent is coming from. And according to my period tracker app, I've got three days to go. <laughs> the local news. Alice, this is Seinfeldian. It's genius. <laughs> when uh, when you, your uh, your your local uh, friend said you had the eyes of a of a husky dog, yes. Did, did she mean in your own head or she you, meant in my like, own head? Carrying? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't. Right. I wasn't carrying them. I think she just. All right. Okay. She, she didn't say you have the eyes of my husky dog after you'd gouged her dog's eyes out. She was. She just sort of came up and and took both of my hands and stared into my eyes and said, "You seem like a very nice person." All right. And then she said. You have beautiful eyes, like a husky dog. <laughs> then did she try to make you carry her across Alaska? <laughs> <laughs> then she tried to strap me to a sleigh. <laughs> then she asked me for 20 pounds. Uh, Donald Trump has been uh, visiting the United Kingdom. Um, it's uh, I've luckily had the Cricket World Cup on, so I was basically able to. Not he did fly over the ground in Southampton yesterday, while the India South Africa game was going on. Two helicopters, one of which contained Trump and the other of which contained parts of his ego, <laughs> flew over the ground, and I was disgusted that he should have been allowed anywhere nearer the holy, holy sanctuary <laughs> of a cricket ground, supposed to be free from this kind of stuff. Now um, he is clearly a one-man Kalahari of common sense. Um, a, a goby of good nature, uh, and uh, he waded in during his 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 brief trip uh, over here. He had a pop at the London mayor. He told some lies. He spoke like an ignorant f about various issues. He stuck his oar in on British politics, where it is emphatically not wanted. He told some more lies and said some things that he obviously didn't mean, and waggled his ostentatious pseudo-imperial nepotism right in the faces of our royal family. Come on, Trump, have some f 
fucking dignity. <laughs> so all in all, it was arguably his most impressive and dignified performance since becoming president. Um, I, I mean, he, he had his sort of serious kind of serious, serious mode. I'm, I'm never comfortable when Trump is in his, I really have to pretend to be a real president mode. It's like seeing Freddy, it's like seeing Freddy Krueger in heavy mascara and lipstick. Just, <laughs> just, just worry about what's coming next. Um, he uh, refused to meet Jeremy Corbyn uh, on the grounds that Corbyn was, quote, a negative force, uh, which is not entirely the pot calling the kettle black, more a tarantula calling a bench a little too eight-legged for my liking. <laughs> Yeah, tr- Trump in informal presidential reading off a script mode is very much like somebody who's been living at the end of an alleyway under a pile of rubbish for eight years and then comes out with a really slick side part. <laughs> you just don't know what he's been using to brill cream his hair down. It seems like it can't last. Sport now and, uh, well, the Cricket World Cup, uh, as discussed, well underway now, uh, ticketing fiascos. Um, they were many empty seats, as I was saying, at supposedly sold-out games, and also uh, people who had not received physical tickets, despite having bought them a, a year ago or more and you know, haven't been travelling from around the world to come to games, uh, and eventually they let people print them out at home uh, on day two of the tournament. <laughs> um, but it, clearly, it does seem that there was a bit of a mix-up in the ticketing department on the to-do list. Uh, a, new swivel chair. <laughs> B, design some pretty pictures to go on the tickets. C, design an irritatingly unuser-friendly ticketing website. <laughs> D, new coffee machine that can make a rat milk frappuccino for those who don't like dairy. E, office sweepstake on which umpire will give the most LBWs in the tournament. And they forgot the key part of printing and sending out the tickets, which is easily done, I guess, if that is your one role. <laughs> if that is the one thing, yes. Um, Andy, Alice, I have to ask, um, the World Cup is a slightly big deal in India, in that it's only obsessed over by 800 million people. Right. It's not that big a deal, but, you know. Uh, and it's not available on your terrestrial television. Now, if that happened in India, it would lead to a few cases, by which I mean millions of cases, of arson, loot, uh, banditry. (laughs) Uh, Here, it is going on, but as The Guardian recently pointed out, the World Cup opening ceremony was attended by massive celebrities like Malala Yousafzai and Malala Yousafzai. (laughs) It appears it's not. It's... uh, the- yes, I, I didn't see the opening ceremony. It was the day before the tournament started, and um, it, I don't think quite as many people turned up as they were hoping, partly because they said, do not turn up unless you've got a ticket, and then no one had tickets. So, um, uh, And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know how big a cricket fan Malala is. Obviously, she grew up in, in, in Pakistan, I would assume. You know, she's a hugely impressive human being. Therefore, one would assume she's a massive cricket fan as all the greatest human beings should be, and indeed are. Um, and, and your newspapers were quite kind about the World Cup opening ceremony. It, they called it a drenched, sodden, mediocre affair. <laughs> <laughs> Which is essentially a pretty decent history of English cricket through the <laughs> 1980s and 1990s. Uh, in, uh, well, other, uh, away from the cricket, um, the uh, in, well, football is happening. And uh, today, as we record, recording on the Thursday, England uh, are about to play a semi-final in the new European Nations League tournament. They are in Portugal. 
um, and they are about to play the Netherlands. And, uh, well, there's been a, a bit of an issue with England's uh, notorious football fans, and the FA had launched a, um, a campaign entitled Don't Be That Idiot. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Don't Be That Idiot campaign fell on the deaf ears of idiots. <laughs> as idiot England fans have acted like idiots and uh, caused violent mayhem in the city of uh, city of Porto. And it is, um, it is one of the curious aspects of football, which is a, at its heart a very simple sport, a childlike pursuit of trying to kick a thing into another thing, that it can make people behave as if human evolution were just an elaborate hoax. And this is this is always kind of dodged and tainted English English football, and it must be deeply irritating for the the vast majority of England fans who are either not idiots or not that kind of idiot. <laughs> but as the old saying goes, a few hundred bad apples can spoil the barrel. Um, it, it feels like it, just not being not. Not using your opposable thumbs means that you've forgotten the level of evolution that's gotten you to the point where you would use them. Right. Maybe they need need more handballs just to right. remind, just to remind I these guess, people. Because yeah, you can. I, mean, it's, I don't know if they just hold the bottles of lager with a thumb. <laughs> Not sure, really. They just embrace them in their arms. But I guess you know, historic city centres are the red rag to England's hooligan <laughs> bull. Um, and to be fair, though, this is probably not the first time England has gone into a country and done what they wanted. <laughs> well, no, it is a, yeah, like it's built into our national national DNA. But the I, level of rage when it comes to this is always bemusing to me, and I'm never quite sure what they're angry about, whether it's too much kicking or not enough kicking or the kicking wasn't interesting enough. Uh, I think not enough kicking. I mean, the problem with, with with football is essentially that it's not violent enough as a sport. Because <laughs> <laughs> rugby's never had a hooliganism problem. Yeah. Because all the violence is taken care That's of. That's a great point, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, hooliganism is essentially the social minotaur that is the unwanted <laughs> offspring of the uneasy conjugation of sport and an ill-informed but potent sense of nationalistic superiority <laughs> with no other convenient outlet that at the same time allows enticing opportunities for travel. <laughs> <laughs> and they also pick really sleepy towns, like, you know, fights in Sevilla or Cordoba, you know, where everyone's snoozing in the afternoon. Towns that are not inherently violent, you yes. know, just... Just, they just bring this aspect. Are you suggesting that the next Football World Cup should happen in Mogadishu? Yeah. <laughs> or Thimpu in Bhutan. <laughs> just want to see what happens. But that's not the only football happening. Uh, the Women's Football World Cup is kicking off this week and women's sport has belatedly been receiving uh, media attention in recent years after someone at World Sport HQ got hold of an influential piece of market research suggesting that at least 50% of the world's population are not men. Uh, this <laughs> research has been suppressed for many generations in uh, World Sport HQ. Uh, women's football was essentially banned for 50 years from the 1920s by the Football Association because, uh, well, um, Alice, oh, never mind, you wouldn't understand. Um, <laughs> Because you can't, you can't possibly understand men making decisions about women's sport unless you've been a man. <laughs> I think that was the logic. But anyway, so but anyway, well, let's hope. I mean, it's getting a lot of media. England has a, a good team with a with a realistic chance of uh, of winning, and we can only hope that we'll see further steps towards equality in sport over the next month or so in France. By which I mean, I want to see England fans going on the rampage at a women's football tournament. That is when we'll know we'll have real gender parity in sport, when the fans of the England women's football team are chanting abuse at minorities, singing songs about the war, and urinating in history. Fountains. Then I'll know we're becoming a nation I want my daughter to grow up in. Hooliganism. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs>
Uh, that brings us uh, kicking and screaming to the end of the, this week's, uh, which is I mean, essentially what is happening with England football fans, to the end of this week's uh, this week's Bugle. I'm afraid there's uh, no time for lies about subscribers, but well, we'll do a bumper set of lies about subscribers next week. If you wish to join the voluntary subscription scheme, give whatever you can and wish to on a weekly or one-off basis. Do go to the Bugle website, uh, thebuglepodcast.com, and click the Donate button. Um, until next time... And it's been a delight to have you uh, here and in person. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it would have been. I mean, that really made no sense. That sentence. It's been a. I've been hologram. I've spent most of the last week just uh, with half an eye on the cricket and one and a half eyes on two screens of statistics. It's been. I love it. You've done very well, Andy. But what statistics they are, Andy? <laughs> um, so reality is just uh, my my always slender grasp on reality is. Um, more gossamer thin than ever. Um, Alice, uh, great to have you back, uh, back here. Uh, we are doing a live bugle together on the 22nd of June in London at the Underbelly. It's a Saturday afternoon. I think it's a 3 or 3.30 p.m. start, um, which uh, it's unusually early for a bugle. So, so uh, let's see if we can incite some hooliganism in the crowd. <laughs> Not enough kicking. Uh, we'll, we'll have segregation. We'll have barbed wire fences <laughs> separating the Alice Fraser fans from the Nish Kumar fans. <laughs> A pun run that leads to violence. <laughs> like all the best pun runs do. Um, uh, any uh, other shows to uh, to plug? Oh, heaps. Ethos, my last year's show, is now available on my Patreon for $5. And uh, I have a trial uh, preview. What are they called? Uh, Mythos on the 10th of July in the Museum of Comedy and other things. And then uh, Edinburgh, uh, we'll both be doing the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, and are you going to be, are you coming to Edinburgh I, this year? I am indeed, yeah. Oh, I'm good. actually here doing Edinburgh previews. It's a very different show. It's called Democracy and Disco Dancing. And uh, <laughs> it's about those two the things. too. <laughs> yeah. Um, Staying love. alive <laughs> by the will of the people. Exactly. Two greatest legacies of ancient <laughs> Greece. Plato gave us disco dancing and democracy. So last time uh, was about empire and our re- India's relationship with Britain. This time I spent three months on the road on the Indian election campaign. And it's I guess it's an hour about the things I saw that I cannot unsee. <laughs> um, do come along to all of those shows as often as you possibly can. Until next week, Googlers, goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.